All right, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that on your phone. If you have a hard copy Bible, Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be tonight. Uh, if you have your Bible, fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts, the second chapter, uh, that's where we'll be tonight as we continue our, our teaching series. Um, that we're calling Calvary Next, really talking about where Calvary, where this church is going over the next decade, uh, and, and really specifically where God is calling our church to be uh, by the year 2030. Hey, if you were here last week, uh, you'll remember we kicked off this series by, by making this really clear statement, and the statement was this, that you can only step into the future God has for you um, as much as you look back, understand, and celebrate your past. Uh, and so we talked last week about the history of our church, how God has been faithful here. We talked about the history of our own lives, looking back and seeing how God, it was faithful. Uh, and, and that was really, I, I think, an important thing for us to do as we go into what God has next for us as a church. But, but here was a cool thing that was happening last week. Um, there was a video that was being developed um, that was um, kind of done by our current senior pastor, um, Sean Thornton, and, and our founding pastor, Larry DeWitt, uh, that was being put together to kind of tell the story of Calvary's history. And all the way up until the service last week, there was like, oh, is it going to be done yet? And it wasn't quite there. Uh, and this weekend, we got to show that video. And as I was watching, I just said, you know, I, I want this room to be able to see that video uh, and understand a, a little more perspective on our history. So if you missed last week, this is a perfect little four-minute summary for you. Uh, and if you were here last week, I hope you're encouraged to see God's faithful hand over Calvary over the last um, 46 years, uh, how good God has been to this church. So let's take a moment here. We're going to watch this video. Just remember God's faithfulness as we begin to set our eyes ahead. Take a look. I've had thousands of people say, well, when are you going to build a church? And I always hesitate and count five and say, do you mean a building? Calvary has never been very churchy, even in terms of our architecture. We left the little church building and went to a restaurant, country club. The director of the restaurant, the country club, called me after a service. We'd been there about two years, I guess, and said, Larry, we have to talk. I said, what's the problem? What's the concern? He said, well, I can't run a restaurant on Sunday because there's no place to park. Sorry, but you have to leave in about six or eight weeks. We, you're going you're gonna to have to go find someplace else to meet. So uh, we met in the country club, and then we found a warehouse. I knew that my mission before I finished at Calvary had to be getting the church to a larger location where God could do more in the future. What? I don't know what. Let's be open to it. Whatever God wants to do. But there needs to be a place for it to happen. And one day the mayor of Westlake called me and said, Larry, I want to show you a building. He showed me this building. And I said, what's that about? He said, well, it's left over from the Cold War. It's sitting here empty for the last two years. If this could work for the church in some way, the city would be really very favorable to that. And uh, so we looked at this building and did due diligence on it and uh, made an effort at buying it. So for the next four years, Becky and I would drive by here and say, someday that's going to be the church. And that was the vow we had in our hearts that someday God was going to do that. And it took three or four more years, but it happened. The first Sunday we were in there, we were moving from that building over here. On Palm Sunday, we had a walk, a parade, from one building to the other. And during the week, the people who were in charge of the building project said, Larry, uh, there's no way we can be in there on Easter Sunday. We can't do it. So I said, well, now that we know we can't do it, let's ask God for a miracle and push forward. And on Good Friday afternoon, the fire chief signed a temporary permit for us to be in there on Easter, and close to 10,000 people came. And I, I looked at Monday and said there were 3,000 more people than we ever could have gotten in the other building. And several hundred of them met Christ that Sunday. We had four founding principles in the beginning. Number one was it be Christ-centered. The VIP on Sunday morning was to be Jesus Christ. If somebody walked in here, I don't care who it was, first time here, they're going to walk out and say, wow, Jesus is important around this place. 
Everybody had to catch that if they were there one time. Second thing was that it had to be biblically based. And the third part of it was to be culturally relevant. Connect with people where they are, not where you wish they were. And the fourth thing was that we need to be outreach oriented. The joy we feel when we walk in this place on Sunday morning and see people giving their hearts and praise to the Lord is so rewarding. Becky and I are living today with the privilege of seeing the fruit of her faith. When I arrived in the fall of 2008, Calvary been through a couple of years of difficulty. Pastor Larry had stepped back from being the senior pastor. A new pastor had come. There was a time of brokenness there at the end of his time. So as we began to rebuild trust after a time of brokenness, we really started thinking about what's God have for us? Our elders started saying from now till 2020. And then God gave us what we called the 2020 vision, Calvary 2020. We launched that in the fall of 2011. We communicated to the congregation. And so we laid out kind of a path and we trusted God for that. We got to watch God bring vision to life and we watched God provide people and resources. And we saw people come to Jesus, get baptized and, and grow. And so as we embarked on that in the fall of 2011, we had no idea how great a journey it would be. And we had no idea some of the challenges we'd face. We didn't know that we would face the borderline shooting that would take one of our staff members' lives. We didn't know that there'd be a fire the next day that would rage and destroy people's homes in our congregation. We didn't know the kind of commitment that would take to step up and walk with those folks. We also didn't foresee some of the wonderful things that the Spirit would open for us, like our special abilities ministry was not a major focus in the 2020 vision. The young adults ministry was not a major focus, but we watched God birth some things in areas we didn't anticipate. When you look back at the history of Calvary, whether you go back almost 50 years or you go back 10 years, 12 years, you see that our God has been faithful. And so as we are on the brink of casting a fresh vision that God has given our leadership, I am on the edge of my seat waiting with expectancy to see what God is going to do as he brings this vision to life. I'm excited about the new things he'll bring that we don't even foresee right now. And I know that when we face challenges, God will be faithful in carrying us through. And I know that through this vision, ultimately, God wants to see more people come to Jesus so they can reach more people for Christ. And that means that we need to continue to be a church that lives and loves like Jesus so others can come to Jesus too. Awesome. Um, and did I see it? Jordan, Jordan, are you in the room? Is Jordan here? No, not in the room. All right, Jordan's a red anyway. It's our video guy. We can give it up for him. I thought I saw him. I'm seeing things now. Um, but as we look back, you heard our, our senior pastor, Sean, talk about um, that, that there's this fresh vision that, that God has given the leadership of our church. When we say the leadership of our church, our church is governed by elders. Uh, those elders are a group of um, 11 men uh, who oversee the spiritual well-being, the direction, the operation of this church. Uh, their job is to be responsible for God for what goes on here at the church. So they don't know everyone at the church. They don't know everything that goes on at the church. They just have a responsibility for shepherding and guarding and guiding and leading our church forward. Uh, and what they have been working on for years is just a sense of vision of where God is leading our church. And so you've heard about this, and we've talked about this 2030 vision. You, you walked in tonight, and under your seat, you had this magazine, this packet. Um, and, and this is just really our best articulation of where we believe God is leading our church. Now, this isn't like an eight-year strategic plan. Here's every single thing that's going to happen. But it's more like, here's where we sense God is aiming us to go. And we're going to walk in that direction and be faithful to what he has. Uh, in 2011, 
when this 2020 vision was launched. YA, this whole Thursday night thing we're doing here, this wasn't on anyone's radar. And yet the Spirit of God just kind of stirred that up, and so we stepped into that. So there are going to be all kinds of things that happen that aren't mentioned in that magazine. Uh, And yet at the same time, I would love to and invite you to bring that home with you tonight, uh, to take some time to read it through or at least thumb through it and try to understand the general direction that God um, is leading our elders and our leadership here at this church, uh, that direction that we're going in, because that's where this church is going. uh, And that's what we're going to talk about tonight and over the next seven weeks, various parts and pieces that you'll see in that magazine as a preview uh, of where God is leading us in our 2030 vision. Now, I want to try to ask a question at the very top here. uh, And it's a question that if you're new to church or maybe new to a church like Calvary, you may have this question. Here's the question. Why does our church need a vision? Like, what is a vision and why does our church need it? Why can't we just kind of keep doing church uh, and just do the things we've always done? Why do we need this sort of 10-year horizon of what we're trying to do? And the answer for that comes out of a verse in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no vision, people perish. Where there is no vision, where there is no clear direction, where there is no clear picture of what the future looks like, people perish. And here's what I want you to know. This is true in big things like the vision for a church or the vision for your life. It is also true in tiny little things. Like, do you know that YouTube's entire business model is based off this? Like, you ever gone, like, to to search something on YouTube, and you were just looking for a little YouTube video on how to fix this one little thing in your house, and then before you know it, you're 46 minutes deep in, like, 17 other videos, and you're just kind of going, and you kind of look up, and you realize, why did I get on my phone in the first place? You ever had that moment where you're kind of, like, so deep into something, and you go, how did I get here anyway? It's because at some point along the way, you, you lost vision. You lost a sense of what you were actually trying to accomplish. I've got a friend of mine who's a doctor. And he had a vision when he was in high school, like an actual vision from the Lord. And the vision was he was going to be this ER doc saving people's lives. And so he went to college and then he went to medical school with this idea of I'm going to be this guy who's in the moment, in the heat of it, saving every life I possibly can. But then somewhere along the way, he got into medical school and met some people and had some opportunities and started going down this road where he started making a ton of money. And he was excited about that because when money starts to flow in and you're hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical school debt, you start to feel pretty good about that. And so he's excited and he's doing this. But then he came to this realization recently that the vision back in high school wasn't to be doing this nice fancy thing. It was to be in the ER. He had lost his vision. And because he had lost his vision, he had lost his purpose, his heart behind all of it. This happens to all of us in life. We get into something with a picture, an idea, and then we lose our way. And if it's true for you, it's also true for churches. Like, let me just say it this way to you tonight, that churches can and often do lose their way. Churches can and often do lose their way. Like what starts as a church of this energy and this passion and this movement can start to actually lose its focus on what it was planted to do in the first place. So churches can lose their way on like wicked, terrible things where it gets into corruption and abuse, but it can also lose its way on like good, fine things that are nice, like making sure people are comfortable at church or making sure the church looks cool or or builds cool buildings. Churches can lose their way when they try to start being like the church that's all about albums or all about social media or all about some other thing rather than the purpose it was given. And here's what we believe here at Calvary. We believe that God has given us clear vision through this point. But our job every once in a while is to stand in front of the congregation, to stand in front of you and give a clear picture of where we believe God is leading us. Because without vision, people perish. And without vision, churches drift. And they drift into good things, lovely things, sweet things, but not the ultimate thing that God has called us toward. 
And so I want to bring us back from time to time. Tonight we're going to begin here. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, but I want to show you Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. Anytime I start to wonder, what is the church doing? Why are we here? What are we about? Should we do this? Should we not? I go back to this paragraph in the scriptures. Here's what it says. It says, then Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If I am ever confused about whether our church should do or not do something, say or not say something, how we should structure things, what we do, we go back to this paragraph. And we recognize the five-word command that Jesus gives, make disciples of all nations, period. That is the mission of the church. That's what we are called to do. We're not at Calvary just like, that's what we're called to do. That's what church, period, is called to be. A disciple-making group who is teaching people how to observe all that Jesus commanded, who is baptizing people, welcoming them in, evangelizing them, introducing them to Jesus. That is what we exist to do. So here's what we say here at Calvary, and here's what we want to remind us of and give us a clear picture of what we're doing. We exist as a church. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. That's who we are. That's what we're all about. If you are new or newer to here, I just want to welcome you in, and I want you to know this is what we're about here. Sometimes that make disciples phrase, like what do we do? We make disciples here. I try to tell our leadership teams we're like a factory, and we make disciples. That's the only thing we exist to do. Every other thing we do, all the technology, all the stuff we have, all the social media, any event we do, everything is ultimately aiming toward churning out one thing, and that's disciples of Jesus Christ. A disciple, and we have defined a disciple in this way, a disciple looks like someone who, and this is the second part of the phrase, someone who lives and loves like Jesus. Like, I want you to know what our intention is every time you come in on Thursday night. My intention when I stand on the stage, when I preach to you, is to disciple you in such a way that you would live and love like our Lord Jesus. That's the purpose. That's the point. That's why we're here. That's the vision we have for your life. If that is not a vision you have for your life, if you hate the idea of living and loving like Jesus, you will hate this church. You will not like it. If you think the goal for your life is some other thing, that might be lovely. But our goal is to form you and shape you and disciple you into someone who lives the way Jesus lived and loves the way Jesus loved. So we want to talk tonight about what living and loving like Jesus looks like. Because this is a phrase you'll hear around Calvary. And it is a phrase, you don't find it in the Bible, like live and love like Jesus is not in the Bible. But what we do see is a clear command that we've been formed into the image and likeness of the Son. Uh, and I just want to try tonight, um, with the time we have left, uh, just to clear up what it means. Uh, to live in love like Jesus. I want to talk about this as our vision. This is our picture for your future. It's the picture for my future. It's the picture for the future of our church. Uh, I want to start this way, though. I, I think live and love like Jesus is great because it's memorable, but sometimes memorable things can be really vague, and so people can just kind of turn it into whatever they want. So let me start with a few things living and loving like Jesus is not. Number one, living and loving like Jesus does not always mean being agreeable agreeable. So here, here's the number one complaint we get here at the church when it comes to live in love like Jesus. I have it in my email tagline. And from time to time, someone comes and asks a request of me via email. And the request is usually not outlandish, like give me a million dollars, but it's usually something like, I didn't sign my kid up for camp. I know it's three weeks late. Can I still do it? Or, or it's a request like, hey, I know YA meets at 7 p.m. Would it be possible for YA to meet at one in the afternoon? Something like that, right? Some kind of request that seems reasonable to them. And my job as a leader is ultimately to say no. 
I have to be the one who says no. And so I email them back and I say no. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten an email in response that says something to the effect of, well, your tagline says to live in love like Jesus. And that is not very much like Jesus to say no to me right now. Like here's how a lot of people see Jesus. I wonder if you see him this way. Jesus is the buddy who always says yes to you, who always agrees with whatever your position is. And if you view Jesus this way, you will be frustrated with our church because living and loving like Jesus doesn't mean being agreeable all the time. If you go read the gospels, you will find a man who is often disagreeable with people. He often confronts people. He often creates friction and he often says no. He often doesn't agree. Living and loving like Jesus does not mean you being a doormat who gets steamrolled by everyone. Living and loving like Jesus does not mean being agreeable. Number two, living and loving like Jesus does not mean always being polite or soft-spoken. There's this weird thing where like people are bold or they'll preach or they'll have a strong conviction or they'll believe something hard and people are like, that's not Jesus-like. Jesus was meek and mild. And I'm like, sometimes. And other times he was like blaring out a sermon. Do you know that Jesus didn't get killed for being meek and mild? Like, I want you to know that. Jesus got killed because he was a threat to the powerful. And what we want to be as a church is we live in love like Jesus. It's not that we want to be jerks, okay? Living in love like Jesus is not being a jerk, but it's also not being this kind of person who's like, I don't want to say anything boldly and I don't want to stand out and I'll just kind of quietly move through life because Jesus was just kind of a quiet, nice fellow with long hair who would have been my buddy, not the Jesus of the Bible. Living and loving like Jesus means living and loving like the actual Jesus you see in the Gospels. And if you don't know what that means, go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over and over, and you'll realize that Jesus is not just this kind of shiny, happy, nice citizen who never makes anyone mad. He got crucified because he made a lot of people mad. Listen, living and loving like Jesus does not mean lacking boundaries. Um, here's what people love to say. Oh, you're trying to live like Jesus. You're trying to be Christ-like. That means you need to do everything I ask you to do at any time I ever ask you to do it. And so from time to time, I'll be like on vacation with my family and someone will text me like, hey, I need to call you right now. And I'll be like, no, I'm with my children. They're like, well, that's not very Christ-like. And I'm like, not the Jesus I read about in the Bible. He often got away. He often abandoned people. Do you know that there are people Jesus blew right past and did not heal? You gotta imagine those people. What the heck? But, but, but here it is, like Jesus did not say yes to everyone. He didn't just get steamrolled. He didn't get sucked into everything. Jesus had a spine. So listen, living and loving like Jesus can often kind of seem like this soft thing where you just kind of give in, but Jesus had a spine. He was courageous. He lived in such a way that was compassionate and kind and good, and yet also had a purpose. Listen, living and loving like Jesus does not mean following a set of rules. There are rules. There are commands God has for you. We will never downplay that here. In fact, the text we just read said, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So like you obeying Jesus is not an option, but you obeying Jesus is also not sufficient. Like you just saying, I obey all the rules of the Bible does not actually make you like Jesus. You being transformed into Jesus is like a supernatural kind of thing. It happens through the Holy Spirit of God. It happens through God's miraculous presence in your life. You just following rules, anyone can follow rules. It takes someone different to follow Jesus and become like him. And that's what we're coaching people toward. That's what we're forming people toward. And then finally, we just need to say this in case anyone who's not gotten the memo, living and loving like Jesus does not mean a particular political allegiance. We just want to be abundantly clear. Let me just say this. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, if you are really hoping that here at Calvary, we're going to endorse a party, a platform, or a politician, if it's coming up to the midterm or next presidential election, and you're thinking like, Calvary's got to get all in on politics, I promise we will disappoint you. I promise we will. Because we've already got a guy. 
His name is Jesus, the resurrected one. His seed is not up for election and he's our guy forevermore. Everyone else falls under that. And so we are that kind of church. Like living and loving like Jesus isn't like, well, if you live in love like us, you'll vote like us, you'll talk like us, you'll dress like us, you'll act like us. No, we want you to be like Jesus. And Jesus is gonna challenge and speak prophetically to all different sides, all different politics, all different parties. Listen, living and loving like Jesus looks like something. And tonight I wanna ask this, what does living and loving like Jesus look like? That's what's gonna bring us to Acts chapter two. Like, let me put it to you this way. Um, in my office, I keep this, uh, this picture. And I know you can't see this picture perfectly, but it's a picture of me and my kids in the pool. Uh, and usually when you have toddlers in the pool, it's a disaster. I just want you to know that. It's usually just a hot mess of trying to keep them from drowning permanently. Like, that's all it is. But we had this one wonderful moment. This was this summer where my wife snapped this photo of me and my daughter and my son in the pool. And they were laughing and giggling and holding on to me. And it was like this beautiful snapshot. And so I have it sitting on the, the, the bookshelf in my office. And from time to time, I look over at this picture and I smile as I look at this picture because this is the kind of relationship I want to have with my kids. This kind of like loving, adoring father who laughs with them and giggles with them. It's like a perfect picture. Now, here's what I know, and I'll confess this to you, but you know this is true because you've had, a, you've had parents of some kind. You've had a dad who, you know, even if they were the best moments, there's still moments I'm disengaged. There's still moments I fail as a father. There's still moments I'm too short with them. There's still moments I don't crush it as a father, but this is the picture of what I want. And just because there are moments I don't crush it doesn't mean there wasn't this picture I can look to and go, that's the kind of dad I want to be. The same is true with Acts chapter two, the text we're about to read. Like, I want you to know that in the book of Acts, the early church is just as dysfunctional as every church you've ever been a part of. There are all kinds of gnarly things happening in the church. There's all kinds of dysfunction and sin and problems. And yet in Acts chapter two, we just get the snapshot of this is what the church is at its best. And that's what I want us to see today. When we see what it means to live and love like Jesus, I want us to see this snapshot in Acts chapter two. Uh, we're gonna start in verse 42. If you got your Bible, if not, it's on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So if you remember last week, if you were here, 3,000 people get saved. Like a Calvary-sized church gets saved on day one. And everyone's like, what do we do? Here's the answer with what they do with 3,000 people, how they disciple them. And here's what it says. Their apostles' teaching they devote themselves to. That's Bible study. That's sermons. That's listening to doctrine. To fellowship. Like they're gathering together for worship on a regular basis. Breaking of bread, which could mean a meal, but probably means more liturgically, like they're getting together to do communion. They're remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then it says to prayer, they're talking to God. Uh, tonight, we're trying to answer this simple question, what does living and loving like Jesus look like? And I think what we see very clearly in this first verse of Acts chapter 2, where we're seeing this snapshot of the early church is this, that living and loving like Jesus looks like loving God. It looks like loving God. Like before anything else, Jesus loved his father. He obeyed his father. He walked in faithfulness to his father. He brought glory to his father. This was something right at the heart of how Jesus lived. He loved God and then commanded us to do the same. Look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, someone asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Like in other words, what's the most important thing for us to do if we're gonna be faithful to God? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Like in other words, to live and love like Jesus, to be the type of person who is living and loving like Jesus in the way we are calling you toward is to love God. And here's what we believe is true for our church. We believe that God is calling us to love God more. And that might sound like a funny sentence to you. You're like, God is calling us to love God more? That's exactly what God's calling us to do. 
Because if God called us to love anything other than him more, he would not be a good God. For God to be a good God, he needs to call us to the highest and greatest thing. And God knows that's him. God is the highest. God is the greatest. And you want to know the shocking thing about loving God? The more you love God, the more joy you will find. Like it's a win-win. God gets the glory, you get the joy. God gets the praise, you get the peace. Like that's what happens in your life. So when God says, love me more, glorify me more, praise me more, honor me more, he's not like this petulant guy who's like, I just want more praise because I don't feel good about me. That's not what God is. God knows that when you orient your life toward him, the joy comes after. And so that's what we're called to. And we as a church just believe this. With all the things competing for your love and affection in this world, we're called to love God more than we ever have. We believe in the next decade, we're gonna be called to step into things that raise our level of love and affection for God. Let me give you four things. Number one, in the years to come, we're gonna grow in our love for the word of God. You cannot love God if you don't know what he has to say. It'd be like me being like, I love my wife. I just never listen to her when she speaks. I really love her. Like how she looks, amazing. But when she speaks, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even listen. I'm just like, you have to know the word of God. We're going to be talking over the weeks about some things we're going to do to raise your level of love for the word. If you're someone who's like, I never read the Bible, we're going to introduce it to you. If you're like, I read the Bible, but only very sporadically, you know what's cool? I believe over the next eight years, some of you are going to become faithful students of the word. And some of you know the word already. And we're just going to elevate and raise that level to a whole new height. If we are going to love God more, we got to love his word more. Listen, in the years to come, we're going to grow in our obedience to the commands of God. Jesus says this, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So my goal is not just to get like a bunch of Bible students in here who like know a bunch of Bible things, but never do it. Like I'm super uninterested if you know the Greek word for forgiveness, if you're not actually willing to forgive your mom. Like, like, like I'm just super uninterested in you knowing all about the sacrifices in the Old Testament if you'll never sacrifice your money. But like, this is what I'm talking about. It is obedience. It's us actually looking at the word, receiving what God has to say and responding in obedience, actually doing this. I just think we need to be pushed to a whole new level of that. The people who are really gonna make it are the people who hear and receive the word of God and put it into action. That is building your house upon the rock is what Jesus says. Listen, next one, in the years to come, we're gonna grow in our hunger for the presence of God. The presence of God. This is a supernatural thing. I'm just super uninterested in a bunch of people who intellectually know things about the Lord, but never encounter something. If you're new here, I want you to know that you are here for an encounter with the Spirit of God who is loose in this room right now. That's what we want. A supernatural kind of church, a supernatural kind of ministry where you encounter something and you leave going, I can't explain what just happened, but I know I just encountered something outside of myself. And there has to be this hunger for a presence of God. And so here's what I would love to see over the next couple of years. I would love to see that prayer meeting we do an hour before the service be so big that we actually have to move rooms or spaces, that we're just hungry for God to show up. I would love to see in January when we do 21 days of fasting, that it's like hundreds of people who don't even come to our church who are part of it because people are just hearing about it and they want in for a hunger of God's presence. Listen, in the next eight years, we just have to elevate that hunger we have for the actual presence and encounter of God. And then finally, in the years to come, we're going to increase our passion for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Listen, there are all kinds of things in this world that call out for your glory, that call out for your attention, that call out for your praise. And we are just going to decidedly say, no, it is about the glory of Jesus, the resurrected one and his father. We live in a community filled with people who are celebrities, who are famous. There are people all over the greater Caneo Valley who are well-known throughout the world. And my dream is we wake up one day and the banner that flies over this valley is Jesus. Like that's what we want. We want this to be a place where you do not live long without hearing about Jesus and about knowing about his praise. 
See, this is what we're called to. We are called to love God more. And I believe there are gonna be some things happening at this church that we're gonna be inviting you into that are gonna raise our level of love for God's word. It goes on in verse 43 and says, everyone, everyone is filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet in the temple, together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So you see what's happening. God is doing miraculous things, supernatural things amongst their community. They were together in verse 44, like they hung out together. They were friends. They provided for one another, like financially, they actually took money out of their pocket and gave it to someone else saying, it's more important that your needs are met than that my preferences are held. They provided for each other. They met with each other. It said in the temple courts, that's like large groups like this. They met together in homes, which is like small groups where we break out together. And then I love this last part. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Like they were just happy. They were happy to be together. It was actually like a wonderful thing just to get like, hang out together. That's what was going on. And listen, to, for us to live in love like Jesus means for us to do these things. And I want to point out that if living in love like Jesus looks like loving God more, living and loving like Jesus also looks like loving God's family. Loving God's family. Now, when I say God's family, some people are like, isn't everyone God's family? And the answer is actually no, biblically. Biblically, you become part of God's family when you become part of Jesus' bloodline. And the way you become part of Jesus's bloodline, the way you become part of Jesus's brother, where God is your father and Jesus is your big brother, he is the firstborn son and you are one among many, is you become part of that by receiving and accepting the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross for you. When you recognize the death and resurrection of Jesus, the blood of Jesus forgives you of your sins and you are welcomed into the family of God and the God of the universe, the father in heaven looks at you and says, daughter, son, and you are part of the family of God. And here's what Jesus tells us in John chapter 13. He says, a new command I give to you that you would love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. So like, listen, there's this love for God we're supposed to have, but then there's this love for each other we're supposed to have. Like there's actually this thing that should happen when you walk into this place where you see these people who are in this room, not as best friends. You're never called to be best friends with everyone in the church because you won't be, but you are called to see them as family. And here's what we must do in the next eight years. We believe God is calling us to love God's family more, yeah. to be more intentional with the way we love one another in this place, to be more intentional about the way we love one another here in YA on Thursday nights amongst the young people who are here and part of this church. We need to love God's family more. Four ways that's gonna play out in the years to come. We're gonna grow in our time spent with God's family. Um, time spent is like the basics of being with your family. If you're like, I love my family so much. I have not seen them in 17 years, but I love them. Every time it's Christmas, I bail on them. Every time they invite me out to dinner, I'm busy, right? You don't actually love your family. You love your family. The basic thing you do is you show up for them. And so I'm gonna be encouraging. I'm gonna be inviting you into showing up for us, to showing up for each other here on Thursday nights in small groups, maybe even in formal ways that never even meet at the church or we never know about. For some of you, I'm going to encourage you to get to know people so deeply that you become colleagues with them, that you become roommates with them, co-laborers with them, that you're a part of their lives. We need to show up for one another. And if your general approach toward church has been, I will show up if literally every other plan falls through, I'm going to encourage you into something deeper and something better where you show up for family because they're family. So listen, we're going to increase and, and we're going to grow in our love for one another uh, in, in our time spent with God's family. Uh, listen, we are going to grow over this next season in our generosity toward God's family. Yeah. You, you know, every week we get up here and we talk about giving. 
And, and for some of you, you give faithfully and regularly, and, and maybe it's not even a lot, but I'm actually way impressed with someone who is a young adult giving just a little bit every week, super more impressed with that than like the heavy hitter who gives a million dollars to something. Like we are called to give and called to be generous. And if you kind of hear every week us talk about money and just blow it off, I'm promising you, you are blowing off an intimacy with God you could have. You are blowing off a discipleship tool. You cannot say, God, you own all of my life, but you don't have my money. And there are churches that are squeamish about talking about money. I just promise you, we will not be that. We are going to be the church that calls you to honor God with your money. I've said this before. I'll say it again. If Calvary Community Church is the thing that's getting in the way of you giving money to a church, you need to find a church that you can give to. You need to find another church that you can give to and invest in because your money is not just the thing that keeps this churning. Like we call for an offering in this room, not because we're like, who's going to fund the church? What about the broke people filled with student debt? You know, like we don't think that. We call you to do this so that you can grow, so that you can be generous with what God is doing in and through this church. Um, we want to call you to a higher level of generosity. And that's not someday when you crush it and you're making millions. It's now, like right now. So listen, the next one, the years to come, we're going to grow in our mercy and grace towards God's family. There's this weird thing church folk do the longer you're around church. If you're new to church, maybe you're still figuring this out. But church folk do this where after a while, we start to get really cynical of everyone. We're like, well, he did a bad thing to her, and she lied to her, and he did this. And you like know all the drama within the family. And so instead of having mercy and grace, you're just kind of cynical and judgmental. And some of you have walked into this place and you see people and immediately you're filled with cynicism or judgment. And listen, that may be true of the world. It cannot be true of God's family. We must be the type of people who show mercy and grace. And listen, if there's something like a true like person who's hurting someone or some kind of abuse, we're going to deal with that. We're going to deal with that clearly. But if it's just someone like didn't text you back or hurt your feelings or a romantic relationship that was about to take off and then just boom on the launch pad, like did not happen, right? That's going to happen here. And we want to be a people of mercy and grace toward one another. We want to be a people who says, you've hurt me, you've wounded me, but I'm going to walk this process of forgiveness with you, right? Mercy and grace should define the way we love each other, the way we care about each other. And then finally, in the years to come, we're going to raise our level and grow in our affection for God's family. You know, it's really popular to be like cynical about church. It's really popular to be like, oh, I love Jesus, but the church is the worst, right? And it's like really, no, no one ever gets criticized for like being anti-church. I just want us to be a people who say, you know what? I love my church. Like warts and all. It's, it's God's family. I'm in on it. Do you know that I love my family? Can I also tell you that my family is a hot mess at times? Like a total disaster at times. A train wreck that is on fire inside of a dumpster at times. And I love those people. I hope you have the same heart toward this place. That you would say, you know what, at times it's a mess, and at times people are hypocrites, and at times people fall into sin, and at times the pastor doesn't do what I want him to do, or at times the worship team doesn't sing the way I want them to sing, or at times things have not gone the way I hoped, and at times people have let me down, but they're my people, and I'm going to love them anyway. They're a mess, but they're my mess. That's the kind of affection I want us to have as we grow in our love for God's family. We're going to be invited into that in the next eight years. And then here's how Acts 2 is going to close out in verse 47. It's just going to say this, that they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what's happening? All these people are giving favor toward them, meaning like they're actually looking in, going like, I want in on that. I don't know what this is, but I want in. 
favor with all the people and those who are getting saved, right? Every single day, the Lord is adding more and more and more people who are getting saved. Like in other words, the church is loving God. The church is loving itself, like through each other. They're loving one another, but they're also paying attention to the people who are around them. And God is saving people through that. Living and loving like Jesus, it's going to look like loving God. It's gonna look like loving God's family. And finally, living and loving like Jesus means loving our neighbors. It means loving them well. It means knowing who they are and it means loving them enough to point them toward Jesus. Loving your neighbors is not just like, make sure to take the trash out and keep the noise down at 9 p.m. Like that's a nice baseline human thing. We're called to something more. We're not called to a natural kind of love for our neighbors. We're called for a supernatural kind of love. Again, Matthew 22, after Jesus says, this is the first and greatest commandment. He says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let me just clarify. I won't teach long on this. Um, When it says love your neighbor as yourself, the big point isn't like, make sure to love yourself more, right? And sometimes this gets kind of turned into that where it's like, I just got to love me more so I can love others more. The actual assumption of Jesus here is that you do love you. And I know that's not popular because some of you would say, I don't love me. And I would just say, biblically, the assumption is you take care of you, you think about you, you care for you. This morning you got up and presumably put clothes on no other people than you, right? Like you fed yourself today. You cared and thought about your own agenda today. And here's what Jesus is just saying. In the same way that you did all these things for you today, do it for your neighbor. Do it for the people who live near you, who you work with, who you go to school with. Let's be the type of people that we believe, we believe God is calling us to love our neighbors more. We believe that this church was founded on this passion to see people come to Jesus, that the people around us would know the Lord. And we got to be a people who say, we're going to raise our level of love for our neighbor. And how shocking would that be in a world where you're just told to hate your neighbor? Like if your neighbor doesn't dress like you, vote like you, talk like you, think like you, look like you, you're supposed to hate them. We must be a place that raises our love and raises our capacity to love our neighbor. So again, four things in the years to come, we're going to grow in praying for people who are far from the Lord praying for people who are far from God. Loving your neighbor begins with praying for them. If you're like, I'm going to go convince my neighbor to be a Christian and you've never prayed for them, please pause on your convincing and go hit your knees, pray for your neighbor, and then go tell them about Jesus. I love the quote that says, I want to make sure I'm talking to God more about people than I'm talking to people about God. I want to get on my knees and pray. And that's not an excuse not to talk about God. We're going to get to that. But make sure you're hitting your knees, praying for people. We're going to call you into that in the years to come. In the years to come, we're going to grow in our caring for people who are far from God. Like, it's not just like us playing like Bible trivia with them to see who can win and then get them in. We got to care for people. And that's going to involve this ministry, us as young people leaning in with what this church is doing. This church is doing so many incredible things in our community, feeding the hungry and helping the homeless and serving people internationally. And I want to invite more of you into that, to care for the physical, material needs of people in this community. We need to grow in that. In the years to come, I believe we're going to grow in sharing the words of the gospel with people far from God. You may have heard me say this before, but I just don't believe you've ever shared the gospel until the words Jesus, death, resurrection, and salvation have come out of your mouth. Like you just like smiling at people and buying them muffins doesn't share the gospel. It's a nice thing to do, but at some point you have to say, listen, I don't have all the answers. I just believe Jesus died on the cross for sinners like me, and he died for sinners like you. He rose from the dead so I can trust him. Maybe you could trust him too, right? In that moment, you've shared the gospel. And until you've done that, you've not shared the gospel. And I want to challenge, because I think some of you laugh, but some of you have never actually done that. And I think in the next decade, for the first time in your life, you're going to share the life-changing words of the gospel. And for some of you, you'll be stunned with how the Holy Spirit just uses your obedience, right? We're going to share the gospel. And then finally, we're going to grow uh, in our um, ability to extend invitations to people far from God. Um, 
We're not a church that says, just bring them here and Pastor Brian will yell at them and then they'll come to Jesus, right? And at the same time, um, inviting people into them is just an act of hospitality. So like if you come on Thursday nights regularly and you've never thought like, hmm, who could I bring with me? I'm gonna encourage you and we're gonna lead you and disciple you toward doing that. In your small group, listen, your small groups are great, but sometimes there's an opportunity to say, hey, why don't you come join a dinner we're having? Why don't you come join a moment we're having? You invite people into community. Maybe there are other things that you just invite people into and you become the type of person who anytime you're heading toward Jesus, you're trying to bring some people with you, right? We gotta grow in that invitational spirit that says there are people in my life who would come to church. I read a poll once that said six out of 10 people, it was for Easter specifically, said they'd go to an Easter service, but just no one's invited them. And that broke my heart because Christians can invite. And if they say no, you'll live, right? And so that's what I believe. Okay, what does it mean to live in love like Jesus? We've been talking about this tonight. Number one, it means loving God more. Number two, it means loving God's family more. And number three, it means loving our neighbor more. If we are gonna live in love like Jesus, it is going to be exactly that. This is the invitation for us as we go forward. Listen, I know um, our band can make their way up. I know as I share this, um, there's probably nothing shocking here. You're probably like waiting on like, is there gonna be some crazy new thing Calvary's gonna do? And the answer is we're not doing some crazy new thing. We're trying to focus and refocus on a crazy old thing that Jesus commanded us to do because here's the crazy thing that Jesus said. Jesus said, if you make disciples, if you baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if you teach them to observe all that I commanded you, if you do this, he says these words, this is so shocking. He says, if you do that, behold, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Do you want to encounter the presence of God? Get busy doing these things. Get busy doing these things and the presence of God will meet you in power. Jesus says, I'm going to meet you and I'm going to encounter you and I'm going to be with you in power, but it's going to happen not as you think about it and hope for it. It's going to happen as you're busy doing the things that Jesus called you to do. Listen, next week, we're going to talk about how we're going to elevate our love for God's word. The next week, we're going to talk about some ways this church is going to escalate our Christ-like compassion. The week after that, we're going to talk about the next generation and some bold steps this church is doing to make sure the gospel goes on to generations after us. We're going to talk about all of these things in the weeks to come. But this only happens when individual Christians who are part of a church say we are going to be the type of people who live and love like Jesus by loving God more, loving God's family more, and loving our neighbors more. That's the invitation for you. This church can only go so far when the people who put their feet on this stage are the people who are serving. God can do unlimited things through his spirit, through people who are willing to say yes to him. That's the invitation for this series, that you would say yes to what God is doing in and through our church as we head toward 2030. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight and thanks for the opportunity to look at your word, to remember your early church, and to dream about what this church might be. God, help us to be a people who live in love like Jesus. Help us to be a people who are so confident in what you're doing and confident in your presence. God, I pray for anyone here tonight who's not a believer, maybe doesn't even know the Lord, I pray that they would come to a saving faith and relationship with God tonight through your presence. I pray for those of us who know and love and serve you with all of our lives. God, would you encourage and build us up even as we sing right now. So God, thanks for Jesus. Help us to be more like him each and every day. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said.